When we hear about human heroes of sacrificing for others, putting themselves at risk so that other people would be protected, we think of you, Jesus. You're the one that did the ultimate sacrifice that we might live. And Lord, any time I ever hear about that type of protection, whenever I hear, it just sounds so much like you. I want to thank you, Lord, for these men and women that have served, these men and women who have lost their lives. God, I want to thank you for, for real protectors. I ask, Lord, for all the family that has been left behind, that you would comfort them and encourage them and strengthen them. Lord, for all those that are currently serving throughout the world, I ask that you would protect them, care for them, watch over them, and fill them up. Lord, we are thankful to you above all, and we are thankful for service. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good to see you. I've been gone for a little bit, yeah? And for those of you that are super hawk-eyed, you're going to realize I'm not wearing my ring. Now, this doesn't mean anything dramatic. I kid you not. People notice the funniest things when I'm up here. Uh, and, and, and here's the deal. I just need you to know one thing about it. Susie is aware. Okay, Susie knows I'm not wearing my ring. Now, here's why. I was in school down in Southern California over the last couple of weeks, and I was really eager to get back home, and I took off like crazy out of that hotel, and I was like, I want to get home, and I was in the L.A. traffic, and I realized I'm not wearing my ring. And I went, oh, no, I had left it on the counter as I was getting ready that morning. So I called the hotel and they said, yep, it's still here. And I said, can you mail it to me? And they said, yes, it has now been a while. I think that I may have talked to the woman on the phone and she's like, really? Did you leave your ring? Did you? Well, you need to suffer, young man. You know, that kind of. So I may be being punished. I'm not sure. But my ring is not back yet. So. Uh, hopefully I will have that on very, very soon. Well, I'm glad to see you. Uh, please take out your Bibles and the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door, and we can begin. We'll need all the time that we have. Also, I want to remind you that we have a fallen soldier presentation in the lobby, that as you are exiting today, if you would take a few moments to take a look at that. Yeah, <laughs> praise God. Man, we have a lot of great men and women. All right, I am beginning part one of a three-part mini-series that I'm sharing along with Pastor Brian Kiley and Bishop Parnell Lovelace. We each will be taking one element of a concept, of a subject, talking about it from three different perspectives. It's called Investing in Heaven series. My portion of that we do today, which is called Practically Changing the World, Practically Changing the world. In this year of wisdom, there is a subject and concept Jesus talked about more than he talked about heaven. And it's an area that we need to get a grip on, an area that we need to understand a little bit better. If we're going to be wise believers, if we're going to make a difference in this world, then we have to understand how to use tangible resources to bring about kingdom transformation. Amen? All right, so we're going to dive into that. So I'm going to begin. You don't have to turn there. I'll have you read in a moment. But I want to begin in the Garden of Eden. 
with a concept. It is Genesis 2.15. It says, the Lord God took the man, that's Adam, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. To work it and to keep it. God never changed that command. We are to be the caretakers of the garden. We were in the beginning and we are now. What does that mean? Well, understand one thing for sure. God could have taken care of the garden by himself, right? I mean, who knows how to prune better than the Lord, right? Who knows how the the vine should grow? Who knows how the animals should be cared for better than the creator? But God didn't care for it himself. He put Adam and Eve into the garden to make sure it was done and managed the way that he wanted it done. Could have done it on his own. Didn't. Chose to partner with his creation, set them in there, and they were the caretakers of the world. So I ask you now, how have we done? I don't care whether or not it's on a sociological level. I don't care whether or not it is on a national level, whether or not it's on an environmental level, whether or not it's on a spiritual level. We have not done well in caring for our world. It is our responsibility, mankind's responsibility to carry out God's will here on earth. We're not caretaking our gardens very well. Maybe you want to write this down. This world is ours for the caretaking. This world is ours for the caretaking. But we're not just caretakers of the garden. We are the body of Christ. Yes? We are the body of Christ. That means we carry out his will in his stead as we are empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. What did Christ do? He led renewal wherever he went. He changed things for the better. The leper was cleansed, the storms were calmed, the dead rose, the bitter water became sweet, hope was restored. That is our job. We are not just theoretically the body of Christ. He indwells us and we carry on the work that he was doing. We keep doing it as he would do if he was here. We are the body of Christ. Are we doing that purposefully? Are we doing that intentionally? That's the challenge. But we are not just caretakers of the garden. We are not just the body of Christ. We are agents of revival. What do I mean? When God wants to bring an upsurge of light into a dark world to push back the boundaries of the enemy, he will use the church to do so. You may want to write this down. We need to be actively involved in the reverse of the curse. We need to be actively involved in the reverse of the curse by implementing our God-given authority over all principalities, powers of this dark world. I would suggest that the majority of us have no clue how powerful God has made us. I would suggest that if we knew it, we would be living far more victoriously and not so victimized. 
I would suggest that if we knew the authority, if we knew the power, we would be walking out of our doorways with absolute confidence, with our shoulders back and our head held high, knowing that the way that it works is it emanates from the Holy Spirit outward and not the other way around. Do you understand how many of us now live in cloistered lives, afraid of the pollution of the world, but you forget the role of the Holy Spirit and how Jesus handled it? When Jesus touched the leper, did the leprosy go to him or did the cleansing go out from him? It went out. When we walk out into the world, the darkness does not consume the light. The light shines into the darkness. Our job is not to pull back. Our job is to engage. When we engage, the cleansing flood flows from the Holy Spirit in our hearts outward into the world. We do not run away. We walk in with confidence. And we bring about transformation. Whatever room you walk into as a child of God, so does the Holy Spirit. And when he's there, all bets are off. Yeah? We are not just caretakers of the garden. We are not just the body of Christ. We are not just agents of revival. But we are kingdom ambassadors. In our hearts, homes, and churches, it should be here on earth as it is in heaven. We are walking mobile embassies of the homeland. Heaven dwells wherever we are. Therefore, when someone needs to hear about the homeland, when someone needs resources from the homeland, where do they go? They go to the embassy. That's you. They should be able to see you like at a beacon of light. And they said, I'm looking for God. Do you know where he is? Of course I do. For he dwells within me. Of course I do. I can pray for you now and draw the resources of my heavenly father into your situation. Can you imagine? This is how we should be. Write this down. Where Christians are, the kingdom is. Where Christians are, the kingdom is. And hell will not prevail. We are to be here to renew the land, to heal the people, to transform lives, to defeat the darkness. Yes? That is what we are. So how are we going to do that? Right? God has given us resources, practical power, things to do to be effective. I'm going to list just a couple of them. Because we're going to highlight the last one. But let me let you know a short list. Yeah? Here we go. First, we pray. I would suggest to you that prayer is the number one responsibility of the believer in this world. Why? Because we're bringing stuff that's out of this world into this world. We are talking with God Almighty who is limited by nothing and no one. Right? Prayer is critical and prayer matters because God says it matters. Oh, well, he could do it himself, but he doesn't want to. He wants to involve us. Hmm. Number two, we connect in community with one another. So how are we effective? How are we powerful together? 
Why? Because together is the only way our Christian life makes sense. Alone, Christianity doesn't make sense. All the spiritual gifts only work in community. You will not understand your power. You will not understand your identity if you're all by yourself. You only get it when you're with us. It's where all the spiritual growth really happens is in small groups together where we're talking with each other about things that really matter. Yeah? Doesn't happen primarily in the big group. This is where inspiration happens. This is where motivation happens. This is where education is poured out. This is where we do other things like collectively worship God, where we share together and we pool resources. What is happening here is powerful, but there's more. And it happens primarily in smaller groups. That's where we begin to change. Awesome. Number three, we fan into flame our spiritual gifts. If we want to be effective in this world, we fan into flame our spiritual gifts. Why? Because they are our individual contribution to kingdom work. Oh, you got one. If you are not developing your spiritual gift, we as a body are weakened. Once again, don't you dare fall into the trap of it doesn't matter what I do. God's going to do it anyway. He can. He doesn't want to. You and I will be held accountable for our part. Lastly, we renew our minds through the word of God. We renew our minds through the word of God, through the word of God. Why? Because what we think determines what we do. And the word of God defends us against our three enemies. The world, the flesh, the devil. Now, we are to be scripture-soaked and spirit-led, yes? That is what we do. That is us and our definition and our motto as believers, scripture-soaked and spirit-led. But there's one more element of power that God has given us that needs to be utilized appropriately. And that is the resource of finance. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, Matthew 25, 14. If you grew up in the church, you probably heard this sermon about this passage 40 times. It is my job to bring it not only fresh, but to bring new thoughts through it. So we are going to do that. Matthew 25, verse 14, Matthew 25, verse 14, Jesus talking about what we should do while we wait for him to come back, told this story. It will be like a man going on a journey. That man is Jesus Christ going away. Who called his servants, that's us, and entrusted to them his property. What did God give us? His property. What does that mean? We're going to spend a lifetime figuring it out, right? But he went away and he gave us his property. To one, he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Quick question. Did he give everyone the same? He did not. I'm going to highlight another story that parallels this where everyone did get the same, but didn't get the same results. 
please don't ever compare with one another because you don't know what we've each been given by God and what responsibility comes with that, right? You stay in your lane. You figure out and use what you got. Don't look at what I got, right? You stay with yourself, all right? Here we go. It says, and then he went away. Jesus went away left us with a Holy Spirit and everything we needed for life and godliness to carry on his work. What are we doing with it? Here we go. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, what type of time? A long time. How long has Jesus been gone? Long time. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And I paraphrase. He said, hey, what'd you do with the five I gave you? Master, I made five more. Man, that's awesome. What about you with the two? Well, I made two more. That's awesome. Notice he didn't give any more praise to the five guy than to the two guy. It was like, man, that's awesome. You just did what I asked you to do. I'm the one that takes care of results. I'm just interested in your process and your journey. Are you obedient in the moment? That's all that matters. If I need something really done, I can do it. I need you to be true to me. Yeah? But then he goes to the one. Pick it up in verse 24. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But the master answered him, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, huh? Gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I could receive what was my own with interest. All right, let's talk about it. The guy says, well, I was scared. Were you really scared? Because I just busted you for being wicked and lazy. You didn't want to do it. And there's a different reason. You were not afraid of me. You know me. Now, do I take it seriously? Yes. Was it daunting to try to put something into play? Yes. Was there risk involved? Yes. But that's not why you hit it. Here's the interesting part. Did you see the second line that he said? I know you're a man that gets stuff where you didn't even sow. What does that mean? It means, God, you don't need me. You're going to get it anyway. You always do what you're going to do anyway. It doesn't matter what I do with my investment. You're always going to get it or you're not going to get it. I don't matter. So who cares if I use my talents or not? How many of us have fallen into that trap? Well, really, I have the gift of what? Working on cars? What does that matter in the grand scheme of things? God's going to do what God's going to do. Ah, you missed it. God can do it without you. He doesn't want to. That's why he gave it to you. 
right? We're still caretaking the garden. We are still responsible for the advancement of the kingdom. God didn't say, don't fail. He said, try. I want you to get out there and I want you to do what I built you to do. At least do the minimum. Do you understand this guy was like, well, I'm not even going to give it to the bankers. He didn't even invest the king's money. That wouldn't have been any skin off his nose. It wouldn't have been a problem. All he had to do was walk in and hand it and wisely be strategic with the things of God. And he wouldn't even do that. Why? Because it didn't matter enough to him. Does it matter enough to you? Does it matter enough to me? Ah. The parallel story is found in Luke chapter 19. We're not going to read it, but it's called the parable of the minas. In that story, a nobleman goes to a far country, gets a kingdom. And while he's gone, he entrusts one mina to each of his 10 servants. When he gets back, one had earned 10, one had earned five, and one hid it in the ground. He had told them, I need you to engage in business while I'm gone. But one hid it in the ground. He comes back and he says, what do you think you're doing? I gave it to you so that I would increase. You have not seen me important enough to increase my kingdom. Were you trying to build your kingdom? Is that what we've been doing? That I go away and you think that my being gone means you can build your kingdom. Because I've been gone for a really long time. Oh, I'm coming back. I could do it without you. I just don't want to. You see, God has ways to build his kingdom and they involve us. One of those is financially. God utilizes resources, tangible resources in this world to do kingdom work. In the Old Testament, we read about it in terms of the tithe of Israel. Y'all know what tithe means? It means 10%. God created a nation called Israel. But understand, you were born a Jew. You didn't choose to be a Jew unless you were an outsider. So everyone that was born a Jew may or may not have even liked God, but they were automatically in his theocracy, a nation ruled by God. He was trying to rule a nation of secular hearts, of resistant people. So he mandated what they had to do. Why? Because he was trying to do a spiritual display to the world, right? So he had laws, regulations, and he said, guys, you're here for a purpose. I need you to do this, 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 right? Perfectly. And he said, you are not going to want to, so I'm going to force you to take care of the poor. I'm going to force you to take care of the temple. I'm going to force you to do what is right. So he gave a mandate that if they did not tithe, they would be cursed because he had a bigger plan at play. 
Now, when it's all said and done, he forced the Jewish nation to give approximately 30% of their income into healthy things. Remember, it was forced. Why? Because they were resistant. In the New Testament, whole different ballgame. Why? Because by the time we get to the New Testament, we already know the full love of God demonstrated that Jesus came and died for us while we were yet sinners, right? We saw how much God loves us. We had this whole way paved that we would reconnect with God. God himself in the person of the son dies on a cross to rescue his creation. We know the love of God. Then, to make matters more intense, he sends the Holy Spirit down into his people, where indwelling, transforming from the inside out, filling us with power, filling us with love, filling us with transformation, we are now walking temples filled with the presence of God. When that happens, what does giving look like? You'll see that the New Testament, it's dramatically different. Now all of a sudden you have people selling fields, selling extra houses, taking all the money and pouring it at the apostles' feet and said there, why would they do that? Because the tithe was no longer mandatory. Why? Because we're no longer the resistant ones. We're no longer the ones that have to be baited into it and argued into it and fought into it and commanded into it now we're full of the love of god now we're full of the power of the spirit now we want to partner with god now the rule is no longer 10 percent or be cursed now it's a uh, kids just do what needs to be done that's it has the world lied to you and made you like the old testament where he still has to talk you into it that you're the resistant ones has the Holy Spirit not been able to soak in there and make you excited about partnering with God? What has happened to us? Have we bought into the lie? Y'all, you're filled with the Lord. There's stuff we can do. That's exciting. Y'all ready to take a live poll? Let's do this. Take out your phones. This is going to be awesome. Everyone take out your phones. If everyone doesn't participate, it's going to be lame. Everyone take out your phone. Take out your phone. I know, gentlemen, it's deep in your purse. Okay, keep looking. Keep looking, right? So ladies, get out your phones. Gentlemen, get out your phones. We're going to do this. We're going to do a live poll, live results. Now, for all of you that are all paranoid, it's anonymous. It's anonymous. No one has any clue what's coming out of your phone attached to you. You are secret. That means you can be honest. Praise the Lord. Right? So now take out your phone. If you are savvy in all this, just go to the bulletin, scan the QR code. Boom. It takes you right there. For everyone that's over 20, if you can open up your browser, right? Open up your uh, internet stuff. It's usually the little Safari button, right? If you have an iPhone. Open up your browser 
and type in bridgeway.church. That's our website, bridgeway.church slash poll, bridgeway.church slash poll. Everybody's got to do this. It's only fun if we all do it together. You can't just stare at me because I'll know that you're not looking at your phone. Come on. Everybody's got to do it. This is super, super fun. All right. It's anonymous. Have I mentioned that? It's anonymous. So I need you to be honest in all these questions. Be honest. We're not attaching it to your name. You can secretly tell us the truth. All right. Here we go. This is going to be super fun. Let's everybody get on there. All right. Everybody on? No, almost. Bridgeway.church slash poll. Here we go. First question. Number one, how old are you? We're trying to figure out what we're dealing with today. All right. Be honest. A, are you under 25? B, are you 25 to 45? C, are you 45 to 65? D, are you 65 plus? If you can't remember how old you are, All right, we'll leave it at that. Okay, here we go. All right, so who's using their phones right now? Looks like 25 to 44 is in the lead. This is going to be a lot like a horse race. No betting. All right, we got our 45 to 64 coming on strong. 65 plus. The three of you, thank you. Praise the Lord, 6.7%. I understand if our grandkids aren't here, we can't do this. I get it. Okay, come on, we can do this. 7.1, thank you. Yes. Marilyn, you just joined on. That was fantastic. All right. All right. Here we go. It's still going. We're counting up. Look, we're losing some places. All right. Fantastic. Here we go. The majority of us, almost half of us that are doing the poll are 25 to 44. I'm actually in the blue category. That's the 45 to 64 category. That's one third of us. All right. Here we go. Okay. Next question. Number two, it's anonymous. Have I mentioned it's anonymous? anonymous. Number two, what is your total annual household income? Is it a under 50 grand a year, B 50 to 90 C 90 to 150 D 150 plus E royalty. No, that's not on there. (laughs) Megan Markle is not here. She is not filling this out. Okay. Let's fill this out. All right. Wow. We're getting some really even bars here. Blue is leading by a stretch, 90 to 150. We got 23% of us over 150. We got what almost the same amount in 50 to 90 and then under 50, almost the same thing. So we're really evenly matched out here. All right, let's go to question number three. Do you financially give at Bridgeway? A, it's anonymous. A, yes, 10% of my income or more. B, Yes, less than 10% of my income. C, nope, financial giving is not a big part of my life. D, nope, but I regularly give money elsewhere. Why don't we fill that out? All right, here we go. Be honest, please. We are growing and we're shrinking (laughs) all at the same time. All right, we have a lot of givers, less than 10%. We have a significant amount more. We have 18% of us that do not financially give right now. And then we have some, well, not here, but I give in other places. All right. Excellent. Here we go. Question number four. Do you actively seek? That's the key. Do you actively seek to use your money to bless other people? A, yep, all the time. B, well, sometimes. C, not very often. D, almost never. Okay, be honest. Remember, only the Holy Spirit is watching you. Okay, Sometimes, 
60% of us, sometimes, some of us, 25% of us, yep, all the time, 3% of us are honest. Okay, good. This con- this is, we're such a healthy congregation. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Number five, which of these statements best describes what your bank statement says about you? Now, we wanted to use the phrase what your checkbook says about you, but no one remembers what that is. Okay, A, I'm barely making ends meet. B, I really like stuff. C, I'm focused on the kingdom of God. Or D, I'm totally chaotic and disorganized. What does your bank statement say about you? All right, here we go. 45% of us, I really like stuff. The top, I'm barely making ends meet. We're losing money right now. See that? All right. Chaotic and disorganized, still trying to figure out what to answer. Coming in strong at the end. All right, 46%. We're attached to our stuff. All right, number six. What do you most commonly use to make purchases or to give offerings? A, cash. You guys remember what that is? It's green. B, check. That's where you make up fake money on a piece of paper. C, debit card. That's the ATM thing. D, credit card and I pay off my balance each month. Or E, credit card and I carry a balance. What do we got there? How do you spend money most commonly? Right? Debit card ATM fiends. Look at that. 52%. That's over half of us. Check. Look. Same group as over 65. This is beautiful. <laughs> Checkbook. That's, that's awesome. All right. Right. By the way, I still like checks personally. So maybe I'm in that category. Um, notice the credit card paid off monthly. For some of you, it's kind of like, oh my gosh, what's happening to this world? Okay, that is an ever-increasing surge in the younger crowd. Why? Because they're saying, not only am I paying my bills, but I can pay them off every month, and I get miles, and I get points, and I get things. So I'm getting extra stuff on my money while I'm paying it off. That's a new way of managing money. Um, And if you do it right, it's awesome. If you do it badly, it's horrible. Okay, moving on. Number eight, uh, excuse me, number seven, number seven. Have you ever used your money to intentionally reach out to someone who doesn't know the Lord. That means evangelistically. Have you ever used your money tangibly to evangelize someone else? A, yep, I do it all the time. B, yeah, few occasions. C, nope, I don't even know what that would look like. D, no, it's not something I feel I need to do. All right, have you a few occasions, all right? 62% of us, not even sure what it looks like. That's one-fourth of a 25%. Not sure what that looks like, all right? And then 8% up top, I do it all the time, 4%. That's not something that I do, all right? That's why we're having this series, all right? Here we go. Number eight, what do you believe is the primary reason God has given you money? A, to bless me and bring me joy. B, to give me the opportunity to be generous. C, to take care of the needs of my family. D, to play a part in changing the world. Uh Uh-oh, now what are you going to click? There's no obvious, it's Jesus answer, (laughs) right? Now you got to make a decision, okay? What do you think? What do you think? Look, 1% of us have joy. Praise God. Oh, now it's 0.9%. Yeah, we're losing joy. 
All right. Uh, so I can be generous. That's coming on strong. Taking care of my family. That's important. Changing the world. About 25% of us. All right. Let's keep moving forward. Once again, I think this is anonymous. I don't know if I've mentioned that. Here we go. Number nine, do you struggle with greed and or selfishness? A, yep, all the time. B, well, sometimes. C, no, not really. D, never have, never will. All right. All right. The green stands for narcissism. That's, be- that's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. God has made all types of people. Uh, all right. Sometimes 54%, uh, all the time we got 15% is just, uh, right. They're having a moment right here with the Lord. This is beautiful. Honesty right there. 15%. All right. Not really. Okay. Here we go. Last question. We'll wrap this part up. Last question. Think back. Are you proud of the way you have managed your money so far in your life? Are you proud of the way you have managed your money? A, nope. I have not honored the Lord well in this area. B, nope, I need to manage it better. C, yeah, for the most part. D, actually, I've really honored the Lord well in this area. Okay, where are we at? Oh, the two middle ones are are battling. Look, 40%, 41%. We need to manage it better. Some of us are just like, yeah, this has not been awesome, right? And then some of us have begun to dial in. There are some of us in this room that you all are monsters in this area. And we need, I mean, so good, so good, so good. I think about, I'm going to give you some advice in a moment about money handling. My advice on money handling is like Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Okay, it is so rookie. We have people like Terry and Virginia Edwards who lead our Crown Financial. We have people that run the Dave Ramsey stuff. We have Anthony and Julie Seiler who have gone through a program about living generously, and I've never seen anybody carry it out as good as they do. We have some people in this church that can train and lead all the rest of us. So if they were up here, they would give you good advice, but I'm up here. That's a drag. Okay. All right. Let's go ahead and bring down that, that, uh, poll. That was super fun, huh? All right. Good, good, good. All right. So let's talk about it. We are struggling. Some of us are struggling in this area. So what do we do about it? How can we practically use our money to bring change for the kingdom of God? All right. So let's talk about this idea. One of the things is that many of us, our hearts are good. Our spirit is willing. Our checkbook is weak. Yeah. Like we really want to do this, but we're too disorganized financially to be used by the Holy Spirit. If he taps us on the shoulder and says there's a need over there, we want to help out, but we simply don't organize our lives very well. Some of us are still living paycheck to paycheck, right? Now you'd say, well, that's not my fault. I don't make very much. Well, actually your paycheck and your lifestyle, if they're always meeting at the very top, you're not going to have any room. That's how it's always going to go. And if there's no room right now for margin, there's not going to be any room for margin when you make more because your lifestyle will increase. You are currently in your mind living below. So the minute you get more money, you'll raise up and meet it. So let me give you a couple ideas on how to use money a little bit more wisely in this area. Uh, I'm going to self-admit I am not a good saver 
right? If there is money in my wallet, it is clearly the Holy Spirit saying, spend my son, spend it all and do not keep any of it. I swear it sounds like the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure if it is, but I think it is. All right. So what I need to do is make sure it doesn't get in my wallet. Once it's in my wallet, it will be spent. So I need to make sure it doesn't get there. How do you do that? When Susie and I were early married, we did not have a lot of money. As a matter of fact, we didn't have money in our apartment to turn on the heat. So after I brushed my teeth, we would run and jump in bed, pull the covers over, and I would breathe really heavily. And then we would try to warm up under there. I mean, it was so cold. You could see your breath, right? Um, also, I took a brown bag lunch to work every day. Didn't make very much money, but I had a career, right? In insurance, I was doing claims adjusting. And also, our one entertainment for the week was a trip to Blockbuster to get one VHS cassette. <laughs> All right, everybody remember this stuff? Okay. So we didn't have a whole lot of money. But yet, in those days, we went to a financial planner and we started talking about retirement. When we went in there, we said, what is the least amount of money, because we didn't have any, what's the least amount of money you'll allow us to open up an account? It was $45 a month. So we scratched together $45 a month and started saving for retirement around the age of 25. Now, understand... It doesn't go very far, right? It's like, oh, you have $13.72 now. Okay, right? It's not a lot. But here's what we knew. We set up an account so it would pull the money away from us so we never got it into our wallet and purse. We then set up another account for our daughters when they were still in the womb. We set up an account for them to go to college. What's the smallest amount we could save and we had it pulled out of our account before we ever got it. So now we have so many little accounts that are sucking money out of it, right? Because we know we're not going to save it if we had it liquid and had access to it. We needed it taken away from us and put into something healthy before we ruined it. Does that make sense? So once again, let's say you're like me and you struggle in the saving department. There are ways to be forced to be healthy. Praise the Lord, right? Sometimes we need that. Once again, if you start putting things in, I'm gonna argue that one of the greatest things you can do is invest in your child's education, right? Because I think it pays off. But I'll tell you this, very few of us can afford it once it just shows up. We kind of have to invest a long, long time ago in order to get anything else, right? Okay, we just have to be practical. We save little tiny bits, right? I remember the other thing that I want to encourage you on is I need you to make good decisions today that will affect tomorrow. Why? Let me give you an, in 1998, Susie and I got to buy our first house. Somebody told us, a couple of people told us, man, I don't know. It's way too much, too expensive for you. But we thought we can be responsible and we can handle this. So in 1998, we moved to Folsom. And we bought our first house for $138,000. I wish I would have bought three. <clears throat> right? 138 grand. It's the only house we could afford in Folsom. It was a brand new house. Four years later, we moved two houses down. Why? Because it actually was a little more size appropriate. It had a backyard, right? 
And so we took all the $100,000 equity and poured it into the next house that was $265,000. We poured it in there. We lived to that house to this day. Now, what's my point in saying that? Because the market has moved a lot since 2002, right? In all that, a lot of us, we, a lot of us grabbed equity and we moved and we did all that stuff. Here's what we forced ourselves to do is not take advantage of the movement. And so what happens is we now have nine years left to pay on our mortgage. Now we still have the same amount, right? Amen. And, and, and the idea is when everyone else got toys, we didn't get any toys. When everyone else got to do stuff, we didn't get to do that. Have we had to at times refi so we could pay off some debts? Yeah, because times get hard. I'm not telling you that we're masters of this. What I'm telling you is that sometimes we can make good decisions today, not recognizing that in 2008, it was all going to hit the fan, right? And at that point, we went, oh, thank the Lord that our mortgage is still at this place, right? Okay, all I'm trying to tell you is that if we are in debt, the Holy Spirit has to talk less. You understand what I'm talking about? Debt bonds us to this world where if the Lord tells us to go on the mission field, we have to say, Lord, I can't afford to do that. We need to be very careful to have freedom. There's really only two things I care about when it comes to money, because quite frankly, I don't care about money. That's why I don't handle the finance for Bridgeway. <laughs> right? I, don't, I don't care. I only care about two things, giving to the Lord and debt. Those are the only things I care about. Everything else, kind of like whatever. But I need to be ready to do what God tells us to do. All right. We need to invest in things that matter. What do I mean? I mean missions funding. Giving to the children in Uganda means not just education and clothing and food. It means learning about Jesus every day. That pays off not just for a lifetime. It pays off for eternity. I mean camp scholarships for kids. When you pay for camp scholarships so kids can go to Hume Lake and learn about Jesus for the first time. I'm talking about investing in minority group business opportunities. There are groups in our society that are not invested in as much as other groups, and it would bless our entire economy to raise them up and invest in their businesses. I'm talking about IJM, International Justice Mission, going around the world and attacking sex trafficking legally and making sure the bad guys go away. I'm talking about clean water programs, homeless ministries, Kiva microfinancing, Wycliffe Bible translators. I'm saying that there are organizations in the world that are bringing real change. This is how we use practical finance to advance the kingdom of God. It's just a tool. Money isn't the problem. Our hearts are the problem. It is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. Nobody needs to carry guilt for having money. God gave it to you for a reason. Let's be powerful with it. So I think there are three areas we need to use our money well. This is what we're going to wrap up with. Three areas. Number one, building the local church. Number two, supporting our Christian brothers and sisters. 
And number three, sowing seeds into the world. Let's talk about those three real quick. I want to tell you how the modern church works, how Bridgeway works. I want you to think of a beehive. A beehive works like this. The bees all come in and they get a little food and they get a little stuff and they're making honey and it's sweet, right? They have a lot of work to do inside. Some of them actually hang out in the hive majority of the time, but a few of them, some of them are guards, right? They're doing their work, but where is the power of the beehive most? Outside the hive. What do they do? They all go out and pollinate and change the world. You see, that's us. You come into church, you get fired up, you get educated, you get equipped, you get motivated. But all the real work that you're doing isn't here. It's out there. And so what we do is one of the ways that the church works is that we collectively agree to pay the salaries of worker bees in-house to do what? To empower us to get back out there and do our job. You do not pay church workers to do your work of ministry. Are we clear on that? You don't pay someone so you don't have to evangelize. All the staff is doing here, we're doing very little good out in the world, (laughs) right? The only thing you're paying us to do is to empower you, motivate you, equip you to do real power. The power of the body of Christ is you. It can't be left to the professionals. They're not doing enough. You're the power of the church. So that's what we do. We organize you and send you right back out to do what you can do. Also, we pull our resources together and we do great things. I've now led at the helm here for over two decades. We would never be able to individually do what we have done collectively. No way. You want to know something crazy? We are sitting on a $30 million piece of property. How in the world did that happen? Do you know? Do you have any $30 million pieces of property you bought on your own for the kingdom of God? Nope. We did that together. As a matter of fact, here's something else that's crazy. In two, over two decades, in the full history of this church, even the years before me, this church has never, ever ended a year in the red. We've always been in the black. Amen? Now, that does not mean we were always getting in all the funding. Sometimes the only way we made it was to reduce and drastically freeze all spending and shove our expenditures down. We weren't getting the money. We went through hard times. We've gone through years of a freeze. As a matter of fact, it's been very difficult But the management that we've done here is to keep it clear. I think that's pretty awesome. But here's the deal. I want to show you something. We also distribute all over the world different things to do. But let me show you a chart real quick. Can we throw up that chart? This is interesting. We have a $6 million budget here. That's a lot of money. Yeah? It is supported this year so far. One of our elders did this assessment. We are, our $6 million budget is, is supported this year by 2,726 households. That's a lot of households. Now, out of those that actually give here, here's something I need you to see. 87% of all of us give less than $5,000 a year. 87% of us. 
61% of us give less than $1,000 a year. How did we end up in a $30 million property? God. Because here's why. Some of you would look at this and go, man, that doesn't look very good for Bridgeway. But here's what I want you to see. We've always been a family where we scoop together our couch change and we hand it to Jesus and he multiplies it. So here's what I don't want you to hear. If you are giving at the level the Lord has asked of you, I don't want any guilt. I don't want any shame. I don't want any of that. That is not, we're not in a building program. We're not hurting. We're doing very good as a church, right? There's no pressure here. I'm just saying that if you are giving what the Lord asked you to give, that's awesome. If our church fails, the region hurts. We can't fail as a church. The one challenge I will give you on this chart is there's more that we need to do and we can't. Every year that we do the budget, there's a bunch of stuff we have to cut out. For example, our staff has not had a cost of living increase in over five years. We just simply can't afford it every year. There's ministries we do not do because there's no funding. So are we holding back? Yes. I think God can do more if he blesses us and we are obedient. Does that make sense? All right. So number one, it's the local church trying to figure that out. Here's how I handle it in my own life. I give consistently to the local church and all my other giving is above that. Does that make sense? All my other giving is above that. I call one a tithe, even though we're not technically under the tithe mandate of the Old Testament. I call it 10% or 12% or whatever it is. And then all my giving is above that. To what? To the other two groups. Group number two, supporting our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to be ready to help others when they're struggling. What do I mean? Meals to someone who just had a death in the family. Meals to someone who had a new baby. Car tire set for the single mom that can't afford it. Why? We watch each other's back. That mama can't afford tires. If her tires aren't good, she's in danger when it rains. That puts her in danger and it puts her babies in danger. That's not okay. So if we know about that need, we jump in, we buy the tires. Does that make sense? Those of us that can afford to do so. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and at Christmas time, what do we do? We buy little ones gifts when the families can't afford it. Why? Because we're pulling together as a family. It's what we do. Now you're going to know those needs much better if you're in a smaller group, right? If you're in a missional community, that is a lot easier to say we all come together. Recently, one of our buddies here at this church is going through a tough time. We rallied around them. And we ended up trying to help them out financially. That had nothing to do with the giving to the church. It had to do with something else. All right? But the most neglected, and in my opinion, the most critical is group number three. Sowing seeds into the world. I believe that this is a key kingdom investment strategy. What do I mean? I mean giving to people you may not know. But you're doing it in the name of Jesus. Here's what I mean. Do you realize that our global empowerment market that we did this last Christmas, where we bought stuff to support missions around the world, that we ended up investing $14,500 for them? That's pretty awesome. Do you remember the Christmas Togo Uganda outreach we did? A text to give during Christmas? 
We gave $26,000. Do you remember the Santa Rosa fire relief for people you don't even know? We raised $105,000. Amen? Okay, this is what I'm talking about. This is strategically investing in people you don't know. You're doing it because Jesus said so. It doesn't benefit you. It doesn't benefit us. It doesn't go through the church. It goes directly into the hearts of people because you're attaching it to the name of Jesus. So as we close out, can I have the prayer team come on up here? Oh, thank you. We're already here. As we close out and the prayer team's coming forward, I'm going to issue you a challenge. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home. On the way home, I want you to grab $20 out of the bank. It's called the $20 challenge. We've done it before. I need us all to carry $20 cash either in our wallet or our purse. And you have one week to pray through and ask, Holy Spirit, who do I give this to in your name? It can be your barista. It can be a young college student. It can be somebody on the streets. It could be your neighbor. But you're praying and you're watching. It is, the, it is a blast. You're watching and you're praying. Lord, is that the one? Is that the one? Is that the one? You already have it set aside. Now, if you can't afford $20, $2 still is powerful. But here's how you're going to give it to them. When you hand the money to them, they're going to say, what's this for? That's a logical question. Have an answer. Here's your answer. You ready? God told me to give it to you. I'm not sure why, but as a Christian, I have to do whatever he tells me to do. So I guess you're on his radar and then shut up and get out. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Okay. Cause here's the deal. You did not give them 20 bucks so they can listen to you rattle on for another 50 minutes. You're just blessing them in the name of Jesus. And you're telling them that God is watching them, that their secret prayer request was answered by the King of Kings through his people. Amen. Amen. Ah, let's close in prayer. Heavenly father, thank you for a wonderful day. Thank you, God, for motivating us. Would you change our hearts and pull out all the yuck that the world has taught us about needing more stuff for us? God, would you purify our motives and allow us to be strategic? God, set us free from debt. Allow us to think so kingdom-minded, Lord, that things begin to change in our world. God, as we grow in maturity, would you increase our blessing that we might bless others? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful weekend.